I'm Kate Fagan. And I'm Catherine Budig. And this is Free Cookies, a humorous podcast filled with thoughtful conversations and offering delicious takeaways. Okay, good. I, for people who actually listen to this podcast on a regular basis, you might be confused because we normally start and Whose I'm the voice one was that? reading that. And it turns out I always talk about this and I always have to read it off of our Instagram page because for some reason I can't remember the specific description of our podcast. I should just start describing it however I want. No, every no, no. Single Let's try it right now. Podcast. Let's try it right now. No, we d- I think we've already done this in a previous episode, so I don't want to uh, bore the listeners with the same with like, our own bullshit that we do okay. all the time on today's show tell the people we have sarah villafranco who is the founder of osmia organics and so going to be coming on our show from colorado yep we're going to chat with her about clean beauty her background as an er doctor why she switched over to found this company and a lot of the ins and outs of the products that we put on our skins and the things that we don't know and need to know about those products. She's kind of the person that I think everyone should be talking to because she has the perfect blend of this Eastern and Western philosophy. So you can't say that, oh, this is all a kumbaya, like just mush some elderberries together and rub them on your nipples and everything's going to be okay, which, hey, I would try that. But... I mean, it's not just all wait, wait, like but now antibiotics. Do the, oh, now do the Western philosophy. The, the Eastern is like rubbing elderflower oh, on your nipples, and it's the Western is like antibiotics. You know what will solve this? You need to get an X ray and an MRI, and then we're not going to share them with each other. And we're going to have to take another one next time you come in because we can't actually fucking send that file. We might be having some personal experiences going on <laughs> in our life right now. Okay, but first, having nothing to do with Osmi Organics. Or Sarah, we're really excited. Just a conversation that we have been yeah. floating regularly, and it's been a couple of weeks that we've been talking about this thing and not put it on free cookies. So I'm excited to see where it goes. It is because I think it's something that is ultimately insensitive that is not intended to be insensitive. So I am feeling sensitive about offending these people. I sense. think that we should just. Stop spinning our wheels and say the thing that we're not. Oh, that's with. actually that you said that perfectly. We need to start saying the thing Ooh. instead of constantly using emojis as a cop out for using actual words. And I'm not talking about like cute bitmojis or I'm not talking about my favorite emoji, which is the one that shows all of its teeth and it has like the long, like hoagie style smile. You know, um, I love that one, but I also love the way you've described it, which is like this really cheesy grin, yeah, which you can use for anything. But anyway, we should stop professing our love of emojis. Well, that and I think there's a time and place for emojis. This is where I get really irritated is when something legitimately horrible is happening in someone's life. Like you see this on social media all the time where like someone's a family member dies or a cat is killed or someone is going through a, a really horrific struggle and people will send you sobbing emojis like the actual cartoon character with tears rolling down its face instead of actually taking a moment to think what would be the appropriate verbal response in a scenario to someone who's going through something completely horrible that I in theory care enough about to say something on their social media page yeah and do you know I think that if you can also use the emoji when you're walking out of a movie that made you laugh really hard, if you can use that emoji for that time in your life, it shouldn't also be used for when someone has a loved one pass away. Right. A a, a crying emoji at the end of like the, uh, the notebook 
is fine. Like, I just watched the notebook crying emojis. That's very appropriate. Beautifully done. Very thoughtful use of the emoji. (laughs) But, like, when you're legitimately responding to the death or pending death or something horrible with crying emojis or, like, broken heart. The broken heart emoji. What the fuck? A broken heart? Like, it just... I don't know. And... Look, I know there are people listening who do this, and I'm not saying that I have a vendetta against you as an individual. Or that we haven't probably fucked up on it at some point. We are far from perfect, and but I and hypersensitive. Okay, we're kind of close, <laughs> but like hypersensitive to. I, I just feel that I'm hypersensitive to even in-person situations. Like if you've ever been at a wake or someone's funeral, like trying to when you have the moment to go up to the next of kin and talk to them, like the appropriate thing to say is so difficult. And and maybe people are blessed with not actually experiencing true loss, but it isn't until you've been touched by it that you realize how important each individual word is. And that doesn't mean that a symbol should replace it, especially not a cartoon one. Yeah. So two things. One is that I have concerns about emojis even before you and I started to notice this influx of the crying emoji symbol representing even, it's almost like a placeholder, but not because the person's never going to replace it for the thing that they should say. Or maybe they shouldn't be someone commenting at all. And maybe the whole larger problem is that like it's in this public Too many people are performance. Exactly. And it's like maybe you're not someone in my life who would actually be at the funeral or event. And so you would never have to think of what to say. But instead, we all feel compelled to be on each other's pages and offering this emoji. But I'm down a little bit of a side um, road because even my issue with emojis are that they at the end of whatever text you're sending, generally speaking to me, mean reinterpret this entire message. Right, or here's a hint at what I'm actually trying to say to you. It's just, it's like this weird thing, and it was some of the reporting I did for What Made Maddie Run, and that like, when people are really struggling, they oftentimes, if they're digitally communicating, put an emoji at the end of what is actually what they're trying to say, but the emoji, as a human, makes you say re- interpret the message. So right. if someone's like, I'm struggling, things are awful, monkey covering eyes, the monkey covering eyes to me is like, Levity. okay, all right. I'm not struggling that much. Yeah, they, they put the emoji on it. So I've, Because I've I'm been, using a monkey. I've been very wary of emojis since really noticing that phenomenon, that we use emojis as if they're representing human emotions, but they are, they absolutely are not. And they can't, most of them cannot be replicated in person. And it's like, you need, we need to actually recognize that and use them a little more sparingly. And you and I discussed this when, you know, if you're talking about, let's stick with Instagram, right? And some, you know, it was your mentor who passed away, Mati. Mm. And some people put the crying face emoji and it just feels like crying face emoji? And the heart to you felt a little different. It was like a placeholder. Yes, I was going to bring up the heart. The heart doesn't offend me as much because I do feel like that is just a universal symbol for I care or love or, you know, I, this is an uncomfortable situation. I see you're in pain. I want to say something important, but I don't know what to say. So I'm going to put a heart there. Right. That's okay to me. Like right. that, that doesn't bother me. I will often use hearts in responses to people that I don't know very well if they say something or, I mean, it, it's not, the heart isn't so much a, a lazy response for me, but just a like, okay, I don't really know you, but I appreciate your words. Right. 
heart. Whereas the crying face emoji is you're supposed to be representing the fact that you are crying over the loss of this person, but you're probably not crying over the loss of this person. So why are you sending me a crying emoji, which feels almost like disrespectful? Right. I would rather have someone say how horrible or this hurts me to read or this pains me and not, it it just, it feels like this post-apocalyptic world that we're living in where we're just going to converse about horrible things via little cartoon characters that are really supposed to be used in jest. Yeah. I, I believe that was the true intention of an emoji in the first place. God, who even knows what the true intention was? I mean, there was only like four of them to begin with. I don't know. <laughs> so who even knows what, where, whether they were supposed to just amplify something? I don't know. Yeah. But um, I could actually talk about this a lot longer, but I think... We should probably leave it there so that we can get to Sarah. I feel Sarah. like we covered our bases. Okay. And for all the people that we offended, use your words here's a, better. Here's Just a heart use face. use your words. Here's a heart crying face emoji. And I'm going to send you a purple heart because reinterpret. Reinterpret this message. What does it mean? Okay. But let's bring on Sarah Villafranco because we are really excited for you guys to hear more about this clean. Heart, clean, heart, heart, clean, heart, 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 heart. Clean hearts. Clear minds, full eyes, can't lose. That's not how that goes. I don't even know what you're saying. Come on, Sarah. All right, we are now joined by Sarah Villafranco. Sarah, thank you for joining us from Colorado. Thank you for having me. Yes, we appreciate your time. We have been fighting hard to get our Skype connection to work. So yes. this is third time's a charm. Yes, the listener doesn't didn't doesn't know the you didn't hustle know that, we but now in. you do. Now you, you know. You didn't know, listener. If you want to know how much squeeze it takes to juice this lime this interview, it is a lot, which is very juicy. Interview, it's yes. gonna. We promise lots of juice. I just want you guys to know, Sarah ran somewhere to get new headphones and is at altitude, and so that is a lot of effort to join us on free cookies. My breathing is calming down now. I'm good. <laughs> um, all right, Sarah. I want. We wanted to start in this spot here, talking about a, a connection that you and I made just last week you had read my article in the players tribune about my dad's als diagnosis and we connected and i, and I read the beautiful post about your mom who died of pancreatic cancer and, and as someone dealing with the death of a parent and Catherine knows this feeling as well kind of it makes you reevaluate a lot of different things and so i wanted to know when you went through that with your mom when when you went through that experience how did it affect your life um, well, first of all, I, I just would say that I'm really sorry about what's happening with your dad. And I can only imagine all of the feelings that you're feeling, um, because it is a little bit different with a, a daughter and a dad, I'm certain. But um, it's not something I wish on anyone to to lose a parent, especially one that you're as close with as you seem to be with your dad. Um, and so I was that way with my mom, too. And it was really interesting to navigate her illness Um as both her doctor, no, has her daughter and not her doctor, but a doctor. So that was hard for me. I couldn't, um, I couldn't get the doctor out of, out of my brain during that process. And in some ways I wish I could have, um, I was always trying to piece together what was happening with her from a data and metrics standpoint. I always wanted to know what her latest scans showed and what her blood work showed and all that stuff. And she just kept getting sicker and sicker, which with pancreatic cancer is sort of a given, but I guess I was in denial slash hope mode. Um, 
And then finally, um, you know, I got a phone call from my stepdad saying, I think you need to come home. And I threw my three-month-old baby in the car seat and got on a plane. And the whole flight was just thinking, why is she dying? This makes no sense to me. I don't get it. She has two tiny metastases on her liver and that's it. And that's all that's showing up. And she should be fighting this and she should be winning. And, and I walked into her bedroom and it all stopped. And I went, oh my God, it doesn't matter why she's dying because she's dying. And that's when I was finally able to put the doctor part of my brain to rest and just be a daughter. Um, and so that was a really interesting and beautiful week where she was in hospice at home and uh, it took her a while to die. <laughs> she was like too healthy except for the pancreatic cancer. So um, as she, you know, was going through this, I was, I was aware that I had been so much in this, um, denial and cerebral mode that I hadn't really supported her through the emotional experience of knowing what it's like to be dying of knowing that that was what was going to happen to her. I didn't let her talk about it. It was always like, um, no, no, we're going to do this and we're going to fight it and we're going to this and we're going to that. And I wish I had just said like, mom, what are you scared of? And what feels okay? Is there anything loose that you want to like tuck in before you go? You know, like I wish I'd been brave enough to have those conversations. So, you know, in terms of how her death has shifted my life, you know, that understanding of, um, of being able to listen to the people, not just the patients has definitely shifted things for me. And then as far as like a really big life altering moment, I would have to, and I don't want to get like too dark and <laughs> um, somber about this, but the second that she died, um, I was, I heard her last heartbeat. I didn't have my stethoscope with me, but I put my uh, ear on her chest and I heard her heart stop. And right at that moment, uh, my little daughter, Nina was in the other room. She was three months old and she'd been asleep every night that week. So for like eight nights, she'd slept through the night, bless her. Um, but that second that my mom's heart stopped, Nina woke up squawking at the top of her lungs. And I had a very clear, like I have goosebumps just saying it now again, because it was such a clear, it was like a collapsing explosion of time and generations and purpose all right there. It was like, oh my God, this is going to go so fast. All of this is going to go so fast. And that moment made me in the, in the subsequent months reevaluate what I was doing. Um, so at the time I was practicing emergency medicine, which was a very cool job and made for like the best dinner party stories you've ever heard. Um, <laughs> but at the end of every shift, I came home and I thought, did I give people the tools to live a healthier, more joyful life? And the answer was, I don't think I did. I mean, I sutured them up or I sent them to cath lab or, you know, whatever it was. And it was, it was a really cool job. But as far as feeling like I could make a difference in my short time here on earth, it wasn't where I wanted to be. So I'd say my mom's death really brought that into light. I don't think I would have had the courage to say to myself that I wanted to do something with purpose or the courage to leave what would 
be considered a prestigious career as a physician to become like a soap maker. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so that's sort of how her death has, has shaped my life in terms of awareness and, and some courage too. Did you have any inkling prior to the passing of your mother that, you know, creating Osmia Organics, that that was a direction that you would want to move in? I mean, I know you talk about wanting to live with more purpose and being able to help people, but did you have any idea that it was going to come in the form of this company? Definitely not. I mean, not even an inkling. And really, you know, what I started to feel, you know, a couple of years after my mom died, I was feeling a real, um, there's not that much creativity in medicine, right? You can't be like, I'm going to give you 17 milligrams of Lasix today because I think it just feels right, you know? So you have to um, find your creative outlet elsewhere. And so I saw an ad in a local paper for a soap making class. And I was like, huh, that sounds kind of cool. And I went and, and took it, and I took it with my friend Judy, who's a veterinarian, and the two of us like picked up the chemistry of it way faster than most of the other people in the class, just because we had such a strong background in science. And that day, it was a total light switch flipping in my brain, where I was just obsessed with the idea of making soap, and I couldn't explain it. And then I, then I started doing some homework, because when I when I realized it wasn't going to shut up and that I, that I really wanted to keep doing this and learn about it. And, um, I, I sort of started doing more and more homework about the ingredients that we all use on our skin on a daily basis. And, you know, the stuff I found was just, it was alarming, you know, and we all think so much about food and how food impacts not only our health, but like, honestly, our evolution as a species, right? Like the stuff that we're putting in our bodies is shifting our hormone cycles so much that little girls are getting their periods when they're like eight now. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Um, It's crazy. And what we're putting on our skin is affecting that as well. And the more I dug in on skincare ingredients and their impact on human health and planetary health, the more I thought, oh, this is, this is medicine too. So yeah, no, I didn't know that would be my way, but it's yeah. it smells a lot better than the emergency room <laughs> did. So. so you think of you now as a chemist and not a soap maker? You know, I think that's what. But, you know, uh, as an observation, not leading to a question, but, you know, even dealing with my dad's diagnosis and then hearing your story about your mom and like, you know, what's I've been finding so challenging is when you find out that all of the cliches about life are just true. And, you know, like. And you want, when you're going through these powerful moments, you know, you want to say to someone like, it's just that what matters in life is connection and family. And then you're like, motherfucker, God, they've been telling me this all along. This isn't, but when you feel it and when you're in those moments, it just feels so profoundly true and real to you. Um, just as an observation, but when getting back to Osmia, um, when you talk about what, beauty products are like and these ingredients and can you can you kind of give us the cliff's notes for our listeners many of them will be educated on beauty products and the difference between mass-produced ones and true real organic ones but can you kind of share with us what you learned and what kinds of things we are putting on our body and the effects that they have and also I'm really curious prior to this you know wake-up call for ingredients and what you're putting on your skin because I I find a lot of people are very, very persnickety about what they eat. Persnickety is they're such persnickety, a good word. right? But then they have no concept of what they're putting on the largest, the largest 
organ in their body on a regular basis. And so I'm wondering, prior to this epiphany that you had, you know, were you really persnickety about what you were eating? Or was it all like the waterfall of wealth came in and you were like, bathe me, cleanse me? (laughs) No, you know, I think... um I, I've, I'm just generally a fairly persnickety person. So oh, it's such a good word. Yeah. I have to throw it in again. Yeah. Um, but I've been, so I've been a vegetarian for about 20 years. And so I've, I've always been sort of aware of what I'm eating. And, and then when I was practicing medicine, um, you know, I, I became really acutely aware of the degree to which we can or cannot contribute to our own wellness. Right. So, I was really pretty aware of what was going in and on my body before all of this, just because I felt that it was my responsibility and my privilege to take care of myself, to take care of this one body that I have. Um, But it amazed me how many people, number one, didn't ever think about that. They, They, you know, and this is really one of the reasons, and I will answer your question about ingredients, but like one of the reasons that I wanted to get out of, uh, Western medicine, which I'm not here to like crap on because we need it, but, um, it's broken. And one of the ways in which it's broken is that number one, you know, we've trained patients to come to us for their health, right? We have said, you need me and my prescription pad to be well. And that's just such a fundamentally flawed way of thinking that it never resonated with me. I always wanted to hand people back their own power. I always wanted to say, oh my God, no, you have everything you need. You just need to know a little more. But all the tools are totally there. In most cases, right, there's some wellness issues that just can't be avoided no matter how conscientious you are. But um, I think the this research about ingredients just really opened my eyes to to how much empowerment there was to be done for people just to and i'm I'm not a fear mongering person, so I'm not really here to scare people into using cleaner products because I don't think that's an effective uh, method of education. But I do think that providing information for people about the fact that, you know, they've looked at, at women in Japan who had higher levels of urinary parabens and shorter menstrual cycles than women who did not have detectable urinary What's a urinary, urinary paraben? paraben. <laughs> Just can you say it 10 times fast first? Urinary paraben, urinary, urinary paraben, paraben, urinary, urinary paraben, paraben, persnickety. Pretty good, actually. All right. So parabens you've heard of, yeah? Yes. Nope, nope, nope. Parabens oh, I've never heard of. Okay, does not. Sorry. Even my producer is mocking me. <laughs> I mean, you've never seen I've, no parabens on a label. I've so like nope, a shampoo bottle. Nope, okay. Guys, guys I right. don't know what okay. a paraben is. I stand by my ignorance. <laughs> I'm defending my ignorance. Let's. I'm here to help. So, <laughs> um, so parabens are uh, chemicals that are used to preserve products. So parabens are the reason that seven years after my mom died, I could open up her. Um, favorite jar of hand cream and nothing was growing in it, um, Mm. which is amazing. And so we do need to preserve skincare formulations. There's no question about that. But parabens um, are essentially uh, hormone mimickers when they're in your system. So they act like estrogens in your system. And so they shift your body's innate um, hormonal axes. And so that's what's happening where, you know, the, the study I mentioned, they looked at women who had detectable levels of parabens in their urine. And parabens are really coming only from skincare at this point. Um, so that's all the creams and lotions that they're using on their skin. And it's showing up, it's at a level where 
the excess parabens are getting filtered out into the urine, right? So it's detectable versus someone who doesn't use as much paraben-laden product is not going to have detectable urine uh, parabens. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, yes, I get it now. All right. So they compare these two university populations where, you know, one group of women has um, detectable parabens and the other group doesn't have detectable parabens. And the first group with the parabens has a menstrual cycle that's like three days shorter than the other group, which doesn't seem like that big a deal. But if you're thinking about like human fertility and the fact Mm -hmm. that we have like a 72 hour window every month, potentially to get pregnant, you just shorten that window by a decent amount. Oh God, I my head is just all over the place right now because we're thinking about getting pregnant and my period is a pain in the ass. And I do, I do, I avoid the parabens. I, I didn't know what they were, so I can't say that I avoided <laughs> them, but I do use a lot of osmia. Kate's on a paraben-free diet for the most part, <laughs> whether or not she knows it. Yes, I am. I love diet. pears. Love they come from a bin. I've been wanting to say that since I heard the word. Um, <laughs> okay, wait, Sarah. Okay, before we get even further into... Osmia organic products. I did want I, I I wanted to backtrack a little bit because I, I have a question for you when it comes to the the idea you put forth about in Western medicine, we make it seem like people yes. are not control in control of their health. Right? They don't worry about health until they've right. lost it. And it's because I talk a lot about mental illness because of um what made Maddie this book I wrote, What Made Maddie Run. And um a big uh, someone I was talking to a group of college kids. And one of them raised their hands and they were like, the thing, the, the way we need to look at mental health is we need to, we need to say like mental health is not the absence of mental illness, you know, it, because that's the way we look at it. It's like, if you I, I don't do have not, bipolar, you're mentally yeah, healthy. Right. Like I don't do anything like mental health is not a thing. Like I don't go for runs, right? Like I don't do anything proactive. It's just when all of a sudden something happens, then I react to it in a way. Okay. So that I wanted to share that, but the, the bigger question I have for you is like so much of over, you know, decades and hundreds of years of medicine, there's a lot of things that have, that harm humanity, kill humanity that now we can fix do you, as you were practicing medicine, did did you ever get to a point where you felt like that inevitably we would be able to fix everything going forward? There's a lot of these people who feel like we could be in a cycle where medicine is progressing so quickly that, you know, it we could extend life by 10, 20 years, but then if you, if you exist at a certain time frame, I hope I'm articulating this properly, it's like every time that you're supposed to die, medicine will be able to prolong your life, you know? And you could, be, you could get into this cycle where you could live to be 200. As, I know this is a total tangent, but I did want your input as someone in medicine. Like, how do you view how we could be proactive in humanity, how we could solve these problems? Besides lots and lots of celery juice, yes, obviously. Obviously, other than that. Not that. Let me just say, I did it for the for the cause for my Instagram followers. I tried the celery juice cleanse. Did you poop a lot too? Literally the first sip, and I was like, "Nope, nope, gotta go." Run to the bathroom. <laughs> yes, it was violent. Yes. Yeah. We okay. can talk about the medical medium on a separate podcast. I'm like, let's just talk about violent poop. Come on. That motherfucker. I hope my question kind of makes sense. Yeah. I mean, so I think. Um, 
it's a complicated question, but I think I think what happened is, you know, in the days of yore, right? The nice. the doctors were um, discovering cures for stuff that was so, you know, whether it was polio or smallpox, and and these were like uh, world-ending epidemics that could have wiped us out. And doctors came in and figured things out. Smart minds came together. And prevented this type of illness, which is amazing. Same thing happened when HIV hit us, you know, in the late 70s and early 80s and, you know, on into that. There's been... They very slowly cured it. Very slowly. They very slowly cured it. Um, and it's... it's um, so, so that piece is undeniable and powerful. But I also think that in the day-to-day practice of medicine, unfortunately... Um, that pattern has inflated a lot of doctor heads um, mm. and doctor egos in a way that's not very healthy. And so it's it's this I have the power and you are the patient mentality um, that is really causing. I mean, I, like when's the last time you went to your doctor and they're like, Catherine, tell me, tell me about what you eat and how you manage your stress. Well, I'm not the right person to ask because the doctors I go to are normally functional medicine doctors. Yeah. They're like, stay away from the parabens. I'm like, just the other day, what you talking about? <laughs> but no, I totally know what you mean. If you go to just run of the mill Western doctor, absolutely not. So, so that's not happening. So we're not empowering uh, people to make daily choices that add up to long-term health over time. And so because of that, we have these massive uh, health problems like hypertension and diabetes and cardiovascular disease that are um, really, you know, and there's a whole like socioeconomic thing that fits into all of that too. But, um, you know, they're, they're really um, providing the biggest challenge to, to modern medicine right now, more so than a lot of types of cancer. I mean, really those diseases are, are at the, the core of it all. Um, but I think, you know, the piece that, that your question, Kate, doesn't account for when you talk about like, will we one day be able to fix it all? Um, you know, it's, it's, you're taking a, you're not accounting for the human will, um, the human, not only the human will. So there are people who just don't care, like they don't want to fix it. Right. And without it being a two way street, it's quite hard to fix a person. If a person doesn't want to be fixed, I mean, I can't tell you how many cases of bronchitis I saw in the ER and I'm like, so yeah, you're still smoking. Um, like this is going to happen every like six months until that changes. So people who are addicted to just enjoying the vices of being human versus the sophisticated things you need to do to heal yourself. Not even sophisticated, the simple things. Or the the dedicated rather, you know, you have to care. And that does dove, and that does dovetail with osmia because I mean one thing I small piece that I struggle with is like I still want to use like dove and deodorant right, oh. like it's she like I bitches c- about her stinky pits all because we have all the time because we're using natural deodorant. And I'm just like, baby, you you just gotta you gotta get over the well, hump, you right? Know? So it's like it's it's like this equation in my mind of like. Do I value that feeling of, you know, less perspiration and that like chemical smell versus knowing that I'm not putting chemicals on my lymph nodes, but I also have to deal with feeling slimy sometimes. Anyway, so um, can you make a, a natural antiperspirant deodorant that acts like all of the chemical deodorant. 
and diverse friends. <laughs> no, ain't going to happen. Don't you, I, okay, I mean, let's just talk about deodorant for a second, because my experience with natural deodorant, and I've had a lot, I've made my own, I buy my own everything, is that if you haven't been using it for a while, or you start with a new one, there's ballpark, you're looking at like one to two months of like some serious funk coming out of your pits until your body adjusts to the natural deodorant, and then I feel like you cruise. Has that been your experience? <laughs> I mean, so it's a little tricky. My staff gets really mad at me because I, I'm just, I'm just not a stinky person. Like even if oh, I wear deodorant, <laughs> I know, I know. And so it's really hard for me to test deodorants. Cause I, I stink for like the day or two before my cycle. And it's not like mm. a stink that you would mm. notice if you gave me a hug. It's like, if Are I you like put a my nose in my armpit. Um, yeah. And so I think, I think for the people who really struggle with it, I mean, the, you know, the, the distinction between antiperspirant and deodorant is, is an important one, right? So antiperspirant is what aluminum does in the, in the conventional yes. deodorants. And it's, it causes the, the sebaceous glands to swell. And so that means that your sweat can't get out. Right. So in, even you, Kate, probably can say that that doesn't probably feel super healthy to be blocking. It's like, right. Like it's saying like you can't pee. No more peeing for you, right? Like yeah. this is a function of your body that kind of needs to happen. So the perspiration part, you know, should happen. But the stinking part, I think you're right, Catherine, that after a, a few weeks, and really, I mean, a lot of people say just wear nothing for two weeks, like just stink full on for two weeks. Don't do anything. Oh. Full detox. And then you can start back with one of the natural deodorants. And I okay, have some so recommendations. It is, detox, so. then, it, it is kind of. I mean, the detox word is like. Because if you've been jamming those pores with aluminum for years and years, I would imagine there's some like funky yeah. stuff in the bowels of your lymph node pits. I hate the word detox now. Uh, lymph node pits being the medical term that it is. But let me, um, <laughs> let me just say that, you know, your sweat doesn't actually stink, right? It's the bacteria that lives in your armpits that causes the secreted sweat to stink. And so what you're doing when you stop using an antiperspirant is you're allowing that sweat to exit into your armpits again, and your natural skin bacteria is going to cause it to stink. But eventually, that process calibrates itself a little bit. Okay. Um, so I think it's worth toughing it out for a couple of weeks, and then you can start back. And uh, like I said, I've got some recommendations for you that might help. So, well, well, thank you for playing the doctor to my deodorant problem right there. <laughs> but when it comes to osmia, can you kind of can you take us through the philosophy and how you went from you know being an ER doctor to eat, you know the products that you now develop and and what you, the ethos is behind it. Also, why is it called osmia? So I was um, looking for a name that had sort of multiple meanings. So in medicine, when you are physically incapable of smelling, you have a condition called anosmia. Wait, so so you act, not when you smell bad, you're incapable of smelling bad, but when you're incapable of smelling. Smelling. Because I, I would like to be the person who's incapable of smelling bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that already. Yes. But yeah, no, that's not going to happen for a little bit. Two weeks. <gasps> Um, yeah, so, so I, so, so that's anosmia means no sense of smell. Um, when you're hmm. pregnant, you have something called hyperosmia where you can smell everything from here to Tokyo, you know, and it's not necessarily mm -hmm. a good thing. Um, so, but there's no word just osmia. Um, and so to me, it means a sense of smell, but more broadly, I, I use it to really mean a sense of life. Our tagline is, 
is return to your senses. And I mean it in so many ways. I mean, in the most decadent way, it's like drop in, baby, whatever you're doing. If you're having your latte in the morning, Kate, like taste how creamy the coconut milk mm-hmm. is or whatever it is. Or if you're, you guys are holding hands, walking down the block, you know, feel the, the feeling of each other's hands. Like it's so beautiful. And all those sensory moments that sort of weave themselves into the tapestry of our lives, right? It's so much richer if you're actually present in your physical senses, in your taste and your touch and your smell and all that. Um, so really that's, it means a sense of smell, but really a sense of life. Okay. And and that's the flying bird logo. Is that? So the bird means something in that the very first sound of summer here in the mountains of Colorado is this. Wow. Did you just make that yourself? I did. Yes, I did. Um, that's the hummingbird that comes to life in the late spring, early summer. And is that what they, they sound like when they're mating? You, were you just in mating? Do it mating? again. Do it again. Yeah, do it, do it again. 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 That's really good. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that's the summer sound. And then the lupine, which is the flower in the logo, is the, the flower that they love most. in our. We live on 30 acres in, in the mountains of Colorado, and it's full of lupines. And so that's their favorite place to feed. So a couple weeks ago we had um, – Stacy Smallwood, who's the owner of Hamden, it's just a, a clothing shop here in Charleston, and and it's fashion and it's high end. But we we talked a lot about the costs of making clothing, like not at a mass produced, not caring about the environment. Right. Um, and and I, I imagine there's a a correlation to be made between when you are making beauty products and you are caring about the effects of them, both on the, the environment, the actual ingredients on the humans that buy them, that the, the, you know, the bottom line, the business equation of it, like it just, things are higher priced when you have to take great care in how you make them. Like how, how do you guys at Osmia, you know, kind of balance that, you know, it's like you, you want, you want to bring these things to more and more people. And yet when you do them, in a really dedicated, careful way, it, it is just ends up being more expensive. There's no doubt about it. And I think, you know, the, the unfortunate truth is that probably not everyone's going to afford our brand right now. Um, and we're not in Target and we're not in Whole Foods because we simply can't get those margins using the quality um, of ingredients and the commitment to sustainability that is our brand standard. Um, And so, you know, it's meant a slower growth course. Like we're in our eighth year of business now. um, And, you know, the business is really healthy and thriving. And we've built what I would consider to be a, a real sort of authentic community of advocates for the brand who understand that, um, choosing a brand like Osmia is an investment, not only in their, their own health, but in the health of the planet and in the conversations they want to have, you know, um, that's really like, I mean, education is sort of one of the broadest goals of our brand and even more so than selling product. The product is like, once you kind of know what I hope to share with you, then the product is like a natural, um, progression, like then you're like, oh, okay, well, let me get this line of products that's been researched by this doctor who 
understands the science behind these endocrine disrupting chemicals. And not only that, but is supporting like organic farming and ethical uh, practices and harvesting that's not going to hurt the world and blah, blah, blah. Like all, it all makes sense. The product piece is like, that's like the, your treat. Once you've like educated yourself and like think to yourself, this is how I want to live and who I want to be in this life, then the product is the treat you get for making that decision. But I understand that that's, it's a bit of a privileged decision. Not every person is going to be able to spend $18 on a bar of soap. And, you know, I, maybe one day, you know, Osmia is big enough. I can let it, let it fly in. I can do a, a more like economy line. It's just not how I started out. That makes absolute sense. And I, so you're one of the, the favorite, my favorite kind of people to talk to because you have your physician background. So you have this unbelievable wealth of knowledge when it comes to science, but then I would, would you call yourself an expert in homeopathic knowledge perhaps? Um, I would or say you that have an expertise in, like, in, yeah, in, in botan, in like plant medicine, basically. So, because I'm always fascinated when it comes to kind of bouncing off Kate's last question, when it comes to the actual, um, kind of like capitalistic approach of, of these worlds is like, in the wellness world, it's so easy to be told, for example, bringing it back to celery juice, all you need to do is just drink 16 ounces of celery juice every day and it's going to heal everything. And it, it angers me because that's not going to cure cancer. It's not going to cure ALS. It's, you know, these sweeping comments that are really damaging, honestly. But on the flip side, I do believe in plant medicine and I, I do believe in the power of homeopathic approaches to making us whole and healthier and so I'm just curious, since you have a background in, in both, like, what do you think that balance is? Because I am going to take an antibiotic if I think I'm going to die, clearly. But at the same time, like, I want to take as many homeopathic approaches, but I also have shit sinuses and I've had surgery and I've tried local honey and I've done manuka and I've done neti pots and I've done essential oils. And the only thing that helps me is Zyrtec and Flonase, you know, so I'm just... What is that balance? Like, what do you... It's just so different for every person. I mean, I think right. you you want to, um, you know, for me, like it's nutrition and stress management are probably like the two things that I focus on the most, um, you know, and so making sure that you're feeding your body fuel and not crap um, sure. is, is obviously, it's so important. I mean, it's so important. And, and even some of the stuff that, like this, what you said earlier about how, you know, essentially alluding to the fact that there's all of this activity in the wellness world where people are wellness practitioners are taking advantage of, of people's desire to be well. And I think that is the most egregiously awful thing you can do as a person in the world of healing. Agreed. I mean, I just, I, it's, it's, it just makes me crazy. It makes my skin crawl. Um, and this is coming from me. I've got a line of products and I hope you buy them all. Right. So, so like, <laughs> right. I mean, but it's especially the rose drops, people get the rose drops. <laughs> it's really true that what I want you to do is become informed. And then I've created a product that I, that I know is good enough for the level of information that you should have making your decisions. Um, but I think it, there's always a balance. I mean, you're right that sometimes you got to just, you got to just Western medicine is here for a reason. And so, and it's almost like politics where the, the, the divisiveness between the, the right and the left, the same, you know, all of these natural medicine practitioners just 
totally shitting on Western medicine, that's not really helping anything either, right? It all needs to be a blending. Like, where's the, and this is where my, our tagline, return to your senses, it has another meaning. It's like, can we just like take a minute here and realize that it's not all one way or all the other? Like we can weave these things together in a really successful way. You know, it, one thing that's always been kind of baffling to me, and it, we listened to another podcast and, and he, he's a philosopher and he makes this point a lot, is that in our society today, if I tell you one of my beliefs, you can project most of my beliefs, mm-hmm. right? So like if I tell you that I'm in favor of gay marriage, you will infer most likely that I also am, you know, pro-choice. <laughs> I also am anti-guns. I also am, you know, it's like you could go down the line and honestly, for the most part, that can tend to be true publicly speaking. And I think it, within that package is like this idea of if I'm willing to, if I'm using the term wellness, right, and I'm even talking about, you know, chemical-free beauty products, then that also has this liberal perspective to it. And there's no like specific question there other than like, it's so strange to me how all of our culture gets wrapped up in these like very stringent black, white sides. The labels. Totally. And, Um, and it's interesting too, because like, I don't, like you said, Catherine, it is, it's sort of odd that I'm a, that I'm an MD who is tends toward the earthy crunchiness. I love it so much. (laughs) Um, but I think you know, to me, I think it's a gift that I have 10 years of practice in the emergency room and I get the scope of human like wellness to illness. And I love the natural botanical world. So how can I like synthesize these two things? It's not to me, it's not like a conflict. It's like, man, this is awesome. I get to bring the most beautiful products from the world of plants in to help people with with problems that they might not need such uh, harsh um, interventions for. Okay, last last like question question before the the most important question of them I'm all. I'm so excited for the most important <laughs> question. But I you know I mentioned at the top the Players Tribune article about my dad, and within it a, a concept that Catherine and I have been talking a lot is like this obsession with scale that our culture has scaling scaling yeah. you know and as someone who is a small business owner is it okay that i called it a small business owner i don't want or if, independent okay. independent um you know it's like it's like i want to ask that question like what's your future hopes about your company but it's almost like this predicted answer of like well i want it to reach everybody and we're going to become an ipo i'm not saying that is your answer but i i wonder like where where are you in terms of you know, the goals and the hopes for what this becomes. Cause there's something beautiful about it staying this, this small entity that it influences the, its piece of the community. Of course, there's something beautiful about figuring out a way to make it reach the masses as well. So how do you view that? It's really tricky because, you know, obvi- like I've been working my ass off for my entire adult life, right? So from medical school to residency to practicing medicine to motherhood to starting a business. Like I haven't, I live a good life, but it is all hustle all the time. Um, so is there some piece of me that's like, it'd be nice to like sit down, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah. when I'm like 60, I think I'd be psyched to just put my feet up for a minute. And I could do that if I sold the company and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But the truth of it is I can't sell this company to anyone who doesn't believe what I believe. And 
I want to change the conversation people are having with themselves in the mirror. I want to change the way we talk to ourselves and the way we destroy ourselves for doing what every single person on the planet is doing, which is aging. We're so mean to ourselves about it. And then we judge other people because of our own insecurities. And it's just, it's so upsetting to me that we've lost sight of what matters. And here we go, Kate, with the the cliche stuff, Mm -hmm. but it's like, uh, you know, when you when you close your eyes and you think about somebody who's really important to you, whether that person is in the room with you or someone who's passed or just someone who's like impacted your heart, right? And then you just, if you think about like a specific moment with that person for just a second, and then you open your eyes and I ask you, did you think about the way that person's tricep flab jiggled? <laughs> <laughs> Right. No, there's no way. Right. Did you think about their cellulite or their crow's feet or their gray hair? Like probably not. And if you did think about their crow's feet or their gray hair, it's because it was one of your grandparents and you remember those things in such a beautiful way. Yeah. 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 Right. And so like I what I want to do is change the conversation and change the focus and like live, have people just live a better life. So there's no money value to be put on that. Um. So, so it's really hard for me and my team, you know, my COO is always like, you know, what's the, you know, where are we steering the ship and blah, blah, blah. And I, and I do my best to answer those questions, but, um, since I, since I stopped in the ER and started with Osmia, I've been leading heart first out of the gate and just trying, just trying to connect with people and change the conversations that they're having. So, um, and, and then I'm doing it with that level of, of commitment to quality and to the environment and to health that is not something that can be compromised. So if that means that we never sell and that we, you know, never become more than a five or ten million dollar company, that's OK. Well, so if the elixir of life could come in the form of a cookie, what do you, what do you think? What do you think the flavor would be? Which is really a cloaked way of asking you what your favorite cookie is. This is this is. Does my favorite cookie question. have to exist? Oh, oh my god, oh. no! Oh, this is so esoteric. I love it. Yes, go, go, go. Okay, so there is this Middle Eastern dessert, and I can't remember the name of it. Okay, it's getting uncomfortable already. Mm-hmm. It's some <laughs> sort of sweetness, but it has a big sesame element. It's like a sesame caramel type of concoction. Mm-hmm. And it's that um, little bit of like, what's that fifth uh, taste? Umami. Like umami. a little bit of, yeah, that with the sweetness and then the stickiness of the caramel. I mean, I'm just, I'm getting all hot and bothered even thinking about this. Okay. okay, so Catherine is going to try to develop a recipe to turn said And I'm going to call it the magic. hot and bothered cookie. Hot and bothered cookies. <laughs> Maybe that'll be the name of this particular podcast. Okay, but uh, I'm sorry, to come back to just your favorite cookie, I love, that was beautiful, but what's your, what's your fucking favorite cookie? Let's go, come on. Um, From the standard cookie list, like a right, you know, you can go to a shop. Jeez, oh, of course. It's not, not a one-off. Chef, no, it's I not, mean, of it's course. Cool. Come on. Like, are there people who say oatmeal raisin? Because that's Stop just... Stop it, Sarah. You're just fucking around no, now. No. You're fucking around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Did she... Our producer can't hear the madness that Sarah just Oh, but I can, spit. and I'm enjoying wait, every wait, 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 second of it. Which one of you eats oatmeal raisin cookies? What are you, what are oh you talking God, about? Oh, my God, it wasn't a jest. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I no girl, you know it's not me. You know it's not me. I am team oatmeal raisin, so fucking hardcore. 
I know the cookie that's always left on the platter. You know, that's I'm going to need a minute to process this. You know what I would like? Cause I, I use your body mousse. That's rosemary. I would love an oatmeal raisin body mousse. All right. Um, done. Thank you so much for that. And, and I, I would will... like a chocolate chip cookie one. <laughs> I think we could both um, be happy with that. Actually, awesome. we did make a vanilla body mousse once, but then I just, it just was so like the temptation to lick yourself was not yes. resistible. And I was like, this is going to go badly. Yes. If I wear my oatmeal raisin body mousse, no one will want to lick me. I was going to say, it might not be good for your wife. <laughs> uh, Sarah, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thanks for having me. What a fun time to talk to you guys. I could, I feel like there are a lot of topics we could, we could cover. We'll be back. Thanks. Take care. Bye guys. All right, we're back. Thank you, Sarah. Um, cat twins emojis, dancing red ladies emojis. Um, super like cat with hard eyes, cat with hard eye emoji. And this scary toothy bangy grin. All the emojis spilling out toward you in love and purity. I'm just going to throw out a bunch of sad emojis because I just opened our ratings and reviews to thank all the people who have left us reviews. And um, it is summer exclamation point. You are our only review. Double tap, double tap, double tap. Since the last time. But you think we're hilarious and you gave us five stars. So... I hope we're being as funny right now as you anticipate. Big toothy emoji response. (laughs) (laughs) This show is produced by the lovely Lindsay Collins. Check out 100. Hashtag 100. Oh, I love the 100 emoji. I know that is a good emoji. That is a good emoji. I know. Producer Collins, what would your emoji be if you could only be one emoji? Scream it into the mic. Be an emoji. If I could only be one. Just one. Just one. You don't actually turn into it. Santa Claus emoji? Ooh, it's like just a little sprout. See, I always think when someone sends that emoji, which is very rare, it means new life to me, new life. And so that's how we feel. You give us life. It's so poetic instead of just like the baby face emoji (laughs) with the little curl. But anyway, Lindsay Collins, she produces us. She's amazing. She's a little leaf. A little little bay leaf, little cilantro and plant. And we were just on an episode of her podcast, FMB Radio. So if you can't get enough of us, you can go listen to us over on FNB. Or you can check us out um, at Free Cookies Podcast on Instagram or freecookiespodcast.com. If you don't have Apple or Spotify and stuff, you can listen to us there, which I mean, if you're listening to this, you obviously already figured and it out. And if you're still listening to this, this is the time of the show where we give out the $10,000. So get your pen and your paper ready. We should probably come up with a new joke. <laughs> it's not, no, because no one hears this joke. So I can say it again and again and I again. I hear it every time. And you love it, baby. And baby love. I think I we're out. I hear this for the rest of my life. This is, these are usually the best 90 seconds of the show. I'm going to get some pistachios. Little penny wads. Woo!